Hello and welcome to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster360, and with me is my bossa nova brother Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich, as we begin episode 77 on this June 23rd, 2018. Today's episode is going to be all about The Incredibles 2 and all the fun stuff that comes with it. Of course, when we do movie reviews, it's going to be kind of high level first so that those of you who have not seen the film, you can get kind of a, an idea of what we thought and then we'll just kind of make our way into the spoiler elevator and be able to go drilling downward just like the underminer. Or mining downward, maybe, Russ? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. How are you doing, Steve? Doing great, Russ. Doing great for episode number 77. <laughs> you, weren't, you, you, you didn't even remember what the number was there at first, did you? <laughs> I did. I just wanted to whistle, actually. You, you know, actually, before we go any, for, any forward, any far forward, any far, far forward, further, any any further forward, <laughs> as far as we're going further on the forward path. Yes, exactly. We, we, we must the, first the, falter the time space continuum <laughs> of where we will be as opposed to where we are. If you decided you would like to fast forward to the movie review itself, then just look into the details section, which you can find whether you're on iTunes or Google Play or YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of thing. Just look on there. You'll see a timestamp. Otherwise, you can just keep listening to us. Continue, Steve. Well, uh, yeah, I'm doing great, Russ. This week was long. It was a long week. I don't know why. A long week. A long week. I, on Tuesday, I thought it was Friday. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's always horrible. <laughs> TGIF, guys. <laughs> what? Why are you all looking at me like that? TGIF, you mean, Russ? Yeah, that's what I said, Steve. I thought you said AF. No, TGIF. <laughs> well, I kind of put a little Texas twang in there. The I becomes oh, a... Man. So, yeah, anyway. Have you played um, anything? Have you seen anything? I watched a couple things. You watched a couple things? I watched... I finally watched Ant-Man. Oh, okay. What'd you think? That was surprisingly entertaining. <laughs> you got a little bubble in the back of your throat there. Like, ah, surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I drank water, but uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, third time to try on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> flooding, but we're still doing the episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. That was a fun movie. Uh, that was funny. And I'm uh, looking forward to the uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ross? Okay, so you've actually gotten more of a positive outlook on the, on seeing the sequel. I do. I st but watching Civil War with Ant-Man in it, Ant-Man was kind of a wasted character, I thought, in Civil War. But with Ant-Man in his own movie, he's, he's good. So I'm looking forward to the next solo. See, I wish movie. you had watched Ant-Man before Civil War because yeah. then you would have understood kind of where he comes from, what his persona is. And yeah, then I, I think it. you probably would have enjoyed him a bit more in Civil War. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I, I get the premise of, of you yeah. know, it's more of a lighthearted comic book movie, which is cool. Which I mean, it's fine, Russ. You can't it's have fine. everybody being like Thor or right. Captain America. Oh, you know. speaking of which I watched Thor Ragnarok again. Oh, oh it's on Netflix. Mm hmm. And I enjoyed it much more the second time than I did the first time. Excellent. I remember you had the flu or had the fever or... or yeah, something was going on with me. You um, had the mange or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had gout. 
Um, <laughs> you had some sort of physical ailment that prevented you from fully enjoying the film. So, yeah, but I don't know. The theaters have got to do something because that I mean the picture wasn't nearly as good as it than it was on Netflix. The sound wasn't nearly as good as it was on Netflix. Well, I think you had a migraine, so I think that kind of had something to do with it too. I don't know because we saw it on IMAX. And we I, did. Yes. Are you sure we saw it on IMAX? Yes, we saw it on IMAX, and you were sitting there like, "Oh my head." Oh. Did we see it in three D? <laughs> Uh, we might have. Yeah, I can't do 3D. I can't remember if it was 3D or not, but I do remember for sure it was IMAX. I remember we saw Black Panther in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I don't. But I thought we didn't see Ragnarok in 3D. Anyway. Well, I'm glad that you had a more engrossing, fun, positive experience with that one. Yeah. Because it is. It's a fun movie. I would say it's probably the strongest Thor movie out of all the ones that have come out so far. No, I would still say the first Thor was the, probably the strongest one, Russ. You like the first Thor? I like the first Thor. Second one was weird. Second one was odd. I don't think everybody probably agreed to that, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would be... My, the first one is... Well, first. The third one would be in second place. The third one is And uh, the third. second one would be in third place. I see. Let's see. What else did I watch? Oh, I watched The Post with Tom Hanks. Oh, how is that? That's not bad. It's not... It's a. It's a... My little story. Uh, Spielberg directed that one. You know that? Uh huh. Yeah. I do. No, you didn't know that. Came out in 2016, I believe. 2017? 17. Are you sure? Steve? 17. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you're getting some movie watching it. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I do have, I've yet to watch. I've been waiting for you, but I'm just going to go ahead and watch it, Russ, because, mm. you know, it's never going to happen. Uh, I have Phantom Thread. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, if you want to go ahead and watch TV, can I can yeah, always Russ, uh, I mean, get with the wife and watch it that grief. way. Took us so long to watch. Uh, what was it? The Shape of... Oh, gosh. What a waste of time that was. Yeah. We got to still do a review of that one on Patreon, Russ. Yeah, I don't think that one's worth a review, Steve. Uh, great. I think that was just uh, yet uh, another byproduct of just... Never trust what Hollywood goes all gaga over. That's just true. So, well. Well, what about you, Russ? Uh, let me think here. Okay, so I've gotten back into Ori and the Blind Forest. I thought you, I saw you playing that the other day. Or yes. On, uh, the Box of X. When I got back into it, I realized I was looking at some of the stats on it, and I was 66% of the way through the game. 66? 66. That is correct, Stephen. And now I believe I'm around 72 to 75% complete. Or 77, like this episode. So, yeah. Almost. I am in the section, I can't remember what the actual name is called, but it's kind of like the lava portion oh. of the platformer. Hey, evil. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a bad level. Those are hard levels right yes. there with lava. You know that. It's one of those things where if you're a gamer and you, you get to the lava level, you know things are getting serious. Things are getting hot. Things are getting a little scorchy. <laughs> Don't want to touch the liquid hot magma. So, but no, other than that, while I was going through some of the other levels, there was like kind of a more windy oriented level and everything else. And the game is just amazing. Ever since I saw the, the trailer for the sequel, I'm thinking I've got to beat the first game here and get it out the door. Did you like my wind sound effect? I did. I always like your sound effects. Thank you. They they, they, they enrich our podcast. <laughs> I like to have more of them. <clears throat> I have also played some Sea of Thieves with yours truly. No, you didn't. I did. 
Oh, yes, I did. And of course, with our buddy Nick and his lovely wife, we were gallying it up. Although we have kind of fallen behind a bit on some of the latest DLC stuff. There's like apparently, and maybe you've done this, I have not, but like the whole uh, find the different yeah, thrones. Like the thrones. Yeah, no, nah, I've done that yet. Okay. It's literally a Game of Thrones and <laughs> Sea of Thieves. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway. Well. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I have been up to and I can't think of a thing. So I say let's switch gears and go right into the movie review. As I said before, we're going to do kind of more of a high level and then drill down after that. But I say let's kick it off with watching the trailer just to refresh ourselves. Okay. Did you wash your hands? With soap? Did you dry them? What? Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? What? The elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> Whoa! I like Mom's new job! Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it this I don't way. know that way. Why would they change math? Mm, math is math. Okay, math Dad. is math. Hello? Hey, honey. How are the kids? Everything's great. Is she having adolescence? And Jack Jack? He's in excellent health. What the? Num num cooking. Cooking. Wow, gay. That is freaky. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. You've got to, so our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? Ah! It means fire, Robert. Green Slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. Incredibles 2. So, high-level thoughts. What did you think, Steve? Well, Rose, I've been waiting for this movie for a very long time. 14 years. I think it should have came out a while ago. Agreed. I think it's... I enjoyed it. I'm going to say it. I, I enjoyed the movie. But I think it would have been more tasteful, more enjoyable if it had been released years ago and not today. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's just as enjoyable today as it was, or, or if it had been released back in the day. But I think that everyone's been clamoring for like, Sequel upon sequel upon sequel. Like, I would have loved to have had The Incredibles 4 today. Yeah. 
But I think, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around. There, there, there's something that, there's a little bit of the magic that's been lost. And I think it's because of the all the complicated times that we've been living in for the last 14 years. Maybe I'm getting a little bit of sprinkling with that in the movie. I'm not sure. Because when we first watched it, it was a while ago, okay? Mm-hmm. And it was Pixar, and it was kind of more of a family-friendly, right? I think it was like 2004? Yeah. Right? And I think coincidentally, because so much of us are grown up now in our, in our 30s who still love Pixar, but mm-hmm. we are our minds, as far as this movie, are from back then as, a, as opposed to today. And Pixar, I think, knows it. And so they're trying to cater to like the younger audience with the kids and then the older audience because we all watched the movie and made it popular when it came out. And I think, I don't know, it's, it's like the scales are kind of tipping on who they're trying to satisfy. It seems like it's a bit unbalanced. Hmm. I don't know. But I really did enjoy it. Right on. What about you? I did. I really enjoyed it. I think that it's it's surprising. You, you can tell that the studio itself was, is self-aware of the fact that they just took so long to release this sequel. Yeah. And the first Incredibles movie was widely successful. I mean, just everyone loved the movie. It was, it had critical acclaim. It did great at the box office. And so it was kind of surprising that it's taken them 14 years for the movie to come out. And I, for one, am very, very happy that it's here now. Like it's better, better late than never, I say. Yeah. And uh, the Incredibles for me is, is interesting from all the other Pixar movies in the sense that it feels like it's. I don't, they, they've done such a great job making it like this this organic world of just all these different characters and just it's like kind of like a like a hyper realistic version of, of reality kind of thing. But but it's it's in this like more cartoony CG world and. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how at the beginning of the movie, um, even before the movie started, they actually, and this is not really a spoiler at all, this is just, before the movie started, they actually had some of the cast talk briefly, and it was, yeah. the whole thing was actually centered around, yeah, we, we realize this is late, which I, I, I was kind of surprised that they did that. It was kind of weird, honestly. Yeah, like, I, I was thinking, okay... I, I think if they had shortened it by 50%, it'd be fine, but but they, it was actually pretty long, all things considered. Like it would have been fun if like, maybe they had like all the celebrities kind of in one group shot and they're just like, yeah, we realized this took longer than normal, but Hey, well, enjoy the show or something. You know, that would have been really fun, but it was almost like they were trying to indirectly apologize for the tardiness, which is kind of like, eh, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't feel like they owed us an apology. No. Um, and, and of course, Pixar is such a busy studio anyway. They have tons of films that they're working on all the time. And of course, with all the red tape and everything else, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm glad to see it. But anyway, super happy to be back in the world of The Incredibles. In fact, actually, if you notice, the the title actually dropped the word the. And it was The Incredibles. Now it's just Incredibles 2. It's pretty interesting. A little more pithy to the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if they held off that one little segment to like the end of the movie, I think that would have been less awkward. But when the lights go dim and you wait for the movie to start and you're anticipating, and then they come up, hey, yeah, sorry, we're late. You know, it's going to be good, though. Okay, yeah, I know. I got it. I'm thankful to be here. Just start the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, great music, great visuals. I, I actually really loved how the, the story progressed, and we'll get into that in the, the spoiler version, um, or spoiler portion, I should say, of this podcast. But no, I, I absolutely loved how the story just picked right up where it left off and just kept going. That was great. And... Yeah, I mean, even the, the the new characters I thought fit perfectly within the world of the Incredibles, that sort of thing. So definitely highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, if you're still listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it, I, th- I definitely would suggest you go check it out and then come back for the spoiler version. Which reminds me, actually, Steve, I do believe you need to don your super suit as we go into the spoiler elevator here. <clears throat> well, I... Misplaced my belt, Russ. You misplaced your belt. But I do have my cape. You see, Steve, that's why I use spandex. Because I don't need a belt. Unless, of course, it's a utility belt. In which case, I don't have one. Don't forget your boots, Russ. They're right here. Do you like them? (laughs) Very leathery. Do you like the shine? I put a little spit shine on them. (laughs) I like your new mask. I like your new bandana. <laughs> That's my cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're in the spoiler version of our review here. I would like to begin with just the uh, the cast itself. The voice acting, I thought, was just on point. What'd you think? Yeah, it was nice to hear all the original voices come back. Uh, it's funny how they have... It's, this is going to sound odd, but all the voices sound like they, they should be all together. You know, it's like nobody was misvoiced. Right. I, if that makes any sense. Casting director did a, a fantastic job putting yeah. all those together. And you know, director Brad Bird, yeah. he, he does yeah, the yeah. voice of Edna Moe. He does? Yeah, that's Brad Bird. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, rabbit, you've gotten fat. Like that's him. That is funny. They actually have a few people who work at Pixar who've done quite a few of the voices as well, but I was not aware of this, but the voice actor who plays Dash, you know, just the the quick little boy on there, um, they actually brought in a a new kid by the name of Huck, I think it's Milner, Um, and it makes total sense because it goes back to the whole date thing where because they waited 14 years, the original actor who played Dash actually couldn't play him anymore yep. because his voice deepened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm trying to say my lines. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I thought he did a great job. He sounded just like the Dash I remember from yeah, the first Incredibles. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell the difference. So anyway, I mean, Holly Hunter um, was great. Craig T. Nelson, of course, he's the, the guy who played coach uh, in the TV show was just, you know, he, his voice is so perfect. Yeah. Um, and of course, Sarah Val for uh, Violet, and we had some newcomers for. Let's see, uh, you had Catherine Keener who who played Evelyn. She was the sister, mm-hmm. um, and you had uh, Bob Odenkirk who played Winston, who's the brother, of course. Samuel Jackson reprised his role, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, overall, I, I had no complaints over any of the voices whatsoever. I thought they were great. Now, the plot itself, just moving right along here, um, 
it was, I for one really loved how they literally just resumed where the last one left off. I really did like that. Cause I was wondering like, are they going to do like several years later, dot, dot, dot. And then everyone's kind of older, but I'm glad that they just, they took it, they, they took it right where the first one stopped with. You had the underminer that came up from the ground and they're trying to deal with that and then seeing how it moves forward. I also like too just who the antagonist was. Like I, I had a feeling from the trailers it had to be someone who was like just just too happy. But we actually didn't meet. Like we saw the the brother in the trailers where he's like he's all pro supers and he's wanting to get them back into acceptance and everything else. But we didn't meet his sister until the film. And I still, even while watching the film, I kind of still felt that the brother was the one who was the antagonist. And so it was a little surprising to, to see that it was the sister. Were you surprised at all by that? Yeah, I, 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 I there, were, there was a part in the movie where I think they were both talking. I mean, the brother t- says basically why he's a fan of the supers and then there's a little bit of a debate between the sister and, you know, he looks at her and grimaces and I disagree, which was kind of cool how they made that sound effect with the echo and everything. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, but yeah, back and forth. I'm like, okay, so it's obvious it's one of these two people. Mm-hmm. And, but then because the, I, I kind of figured in the end it would be the sister because she was the scientist and she's the gizmo. Well, she, she wasn't a scientist. She was a designer. Or design, either way. She was an inventor. Whatever. Designer, inventor. Something. Prototyper. No, she knows inventing sciences. Um, so, yeah. But I, I kind of wondered where the underminer went. He's like, yeah, I stole a bank. I'm out of here. I'm- I like that, though. <laughs> That's cool because, once again, it plays into that ecosystem of The Incredibles in the sense that you don't have to always apprehend the bad guy. Like yeah. that, you need to have certain ones escape because then it just makes it more fun to, to think about how like, Oh, well that, that character is still at large and they'll have to try and track him down at some point. You know, it, it, it becomes one dimensional. If like the, if the protagonists are able to they'll just apprehend every single bad guy they come across. Yeah. So I thought, I thought that was fine. I, but yeah, in terms of, uh, of who the antagonist was, I had a feeling it was either the brother or the sister. I was leaning more towards the brother. And then, then when the sister thing came in, I was like, okay, of course I meant that makes sense, but not necessarily disappointed. I actually liked that. I actually liked how it was the sister instead of the brother. I thought they took a little bit of a while to kind of narrow down what their motives were I, for doing what they were doing. I mean, I guess they revealed who the enemy actually was rather late in the movie, but Around like the third act, I'm thinking, you know, like, who, what are we, where are we going here? (laughs) Obviously, a bad guy's out there. They're trying to get him. They're figuring it out. But it seemed like they kind of wrapped it up a little too quick. Like, okay, this is why I'm upset. And this is, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm I'm pissed. I could see that a little bit. It would have been nice to have had perhaps a little more time toward that. But I do think that they, they wanted to focus on just, the power of telecommunications. That was kind of the, the overarching theme was just on the one hand, you could use it in such a way to, to create a campaign that promoted a certain idea or a certain person or whatever it is. And so it was actually really fresh to watch how 
we got to, to see firsthand just this orchestrated effort to get people back on, on the, the supers team, so to speak, in order to try and overturn a law that was put in place by people in the government uh, or because they, the, the, the supers were causing too much chaos and mayhem and everything else. And so it, I don't know, it was, it was interesting because even like by the time you got done seeing the whole movie, you realize the brother's intentions are noble. Like, like he really does want to bring them back into the fold. However, I couldn't shake this kind of creepy vibe. It wasn't like a, a big feeling. It was more just underlying, but like it was kind of creepy just in a way to watch how they were doing all this recording and all of this um, posturing in order to get, get people to, to like them and how like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to, you know, videotape everything you're doing and we're going to have these nice lavish speeches. And I don't know, like, like it, it's, it's, I don't even know what really what the word, it's marketing the right word is, but like it's sales and marketing is what it is. But, but I think what caused it to be creepy, because like on the one hand you have sales and marketing for a product, mm-hmm. right? Like, Oh, here's a new toy. Here's a, here's a new car, whatever it is. But I think what I found to be kind of creepy about this was that it simulates um, people's desire to feel safe. And I think politics kind of come into my mind a bit, like just the, just the overall political machine of the real world where like they do a lot of that type of thing where like if you have like a presidential race, for instance, and you have your candidates and they, they go through this whole like PR campaign to like make this person just the, the person that you want to vote for. Mm -hmm. And they will do all kinds of different things. Sometimes there will be manipulations, but other times it's more just, they have like a team of people who are like, okay, you need to act this way, but don't act that way. And then you're going to go here and we're going to, ca- we're going to camera angle of you this way and that sort of thing. And I don't know, it was, it was, yeah. it, was, it was interesting in the film because the film was talking about how like they wanted to bring the supers back into the fold. And, and that involved getting the public to basically like, like apply pressure and become activists and get them to change the ruling on what was ruled in the first place. So yeah, it, it was, I don't know. I just wanted to make that, that observation known is it's not a big deal or anything. I didn't, I didn't think it made the movie bad at all, it, but it was an interesting, mm-hmm. just like I said, like, like an underlying kind of creepiness to the whole thing. Yeah. I think if you were, if you ever held, a few jobs in sales, you would understand it completely because it doesn't have to be sales and marketing for a product. It can completely be for an idea yeah. altogether. It could be even when a, when a candidate is, is running for office or election or whoever and whatnot, they're selling themselves and right. they're selling the public on an, on an idea or a perception right. either way. And selling a perception is kind of creepy mm-hmm. because you're not showing them maybe who your true self is. That's right. Yeah. You, you're, you're selling this image that you want the public to buy into. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, it makes complete sense why they were doing what they were doing. Yeah. And again, it wasn't anything bad. Yeah. It, it wasn't like they were like causing um, these, these terrible situations in order for them to capitalize on it. It wasn't like, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, the guy who had the paper that uh, Hearst. William Randolph Hearst, I believe is what his name was, but he was the guy who started out with a news printing company way back in the day. You know, he has that Hearst castle that's in California 
And he got his riches because he started out where he would actually set up different types of quote unquote news events that would happen. So if like someone got mugged or whatever, he was the one who actually like paid these people to like act out and basically create the, these stories that didn't actually occur. And as a result, his news organization was always the first one on the scene to report what was going on. And that's how he really got a head start in, in media. So I don't know. It, it's interesting to see all that. And of course in the Incredibles too, we see kind of more of the evil side with, you know, screen slaver, which I think is a great name. It's like, instead of screen saver, it's screen slaver. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and just seeing like, like more of the evil side of, of what you can do to leverage the, the, the media and telecommunications and stuff to your advantage, that sort of thing. I really also liked how we got to see more of the wife in kind of more of the hero, hero role this time around. And I think it's cool because just, we, we saw so much of, of the dad figure in the, the, the first film. So it's like, we were, we're already, already kind of used to that. And, and it pleasant just it opened up a wonderful Pandora's box to watch how daddy takes care of the kids at home oh, yeah. and everything else. And I loved just, I, you know, you mentioned early on about like how we were younger when we saw the first Incredibles versus where we are today. And for me personally, I could find myself really appreciating just where I am today versus where I was. Cause when, when I saw um, the first Incredibles movie, I had just graduated from college. I was trying to, you know, get my career off the ground and everything else in my, my early twenties. And now here I am 39 and I have, you know, I don't have three kids, but I have the, the one kid and I've gone through <laughs> a lot of like just the exhaustion and tired and like the, just the roller coaster of, of uh, raising children and I mean, the, you saw me I, mean, I was laughing quite a few times during the, those sequences just because I could identify with what was going on. And I think that that was really rewarding in terms of when you have like a younger generation watching Incredibles 2, they're going to be able to identify with kind of more what we identified with with the first Incredibles. Because I feel like in the first Incredibles movie, we were able to identify with kind of the kids more than the adults. Like, like, like we could see the adults doing what they're doing and we could understand based on what the adults are, were doing because obviously we have parents we've seen, like, I think, I feel like when we saw the parents in the film, we could like, it reminded us of how our parents get. Like if, you know, they're trying to figure out like the best route to take in the car and they're arguing over which way they should go or whatever it is. Like we found that funny because we would think of our parents for me going into Incredibles 2 though, like seeing them do the parental thing, like, oh my gosh, that was so funny. I mean, they, they nailed it. I like when, when Jack Jack poops his diaper and I was just like, oh my gosh, I totally just, I, I got it. I totally get what they're doing with that. I think the women were very front and center in this movie. It wasn't just Elastigirl. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, um, ah, what's her face? Evelyn. Ev- uh, Evelyn. Evelyn was yeah. the antagonist, right? So it was it was female against female, uh-huh. female protagonist, female antagonist. It yep. was uh, Violet, right? Violet? Violet is the daughter. Is the daughter? Mm-hmm. So she had a, a big stay in the, in the movie, and you know, women ambassador mm-hmm. and women fandom mm-hmm. coming on to last. So that, it seemed like the women were really front and center in this one. Yeah. I found that to be really fresh. Just like I said earlier, just because in the first one, it, it had more of a, a male dominated 
uh, motif, which nothing wrong with that, but just, I, I think it was cool to be able to see, obviously the wife um, has more, I mean, she, she has her own unique superpowers and again, just being able to like, like just kind of turn on its, on its ear where all of a sudden um, she gets to go out and uh, fight crime and that sort of thing and have the dad be at home and <laughs> just seeing everything. I got, I, I actually reminds me of, of the, the one particular scene where, where Jack Jack is fighting the raccoon. That is seriously one of my favorite parts of the <laughs> entire movie. I, I did not expect that scene at all. And it was funny because actually afterwards we took a picture of the, the movie poster outside of the theater and you, the raccoon is in the poster. It's in like the bottom right hand corner. But like, you have oh, to look yeah, for I it. Yeah, I did see that. I, I, I looked at it quickly and I thought, is that the raccoon? Yeah, whatever. No, it's hot outside. Let's go to the car. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought I saw though. Gosh, that whole sequence was just, I thought to me that was worth the price of admission right there. Just watching the whole thing unfold. And it was almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon in a way. Yeah. Um, but what'd you think? You know, what Pixar is so good at is the expression on people's faces. Yes. You, know, you can animate people speaking and you can animate their eyes, but it's so weird. But it's hard to capture expressions mm. when, when they're saying, they're, 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 you can say things and then you can say it with, with expression. And Pixar does it so well. All that nonverbal expression is captured in every single character in the movie all the way from the beginning, from, from the beginning to the end. Remember, yeah. remember in the end when they're driving to the, you know, she finally, like finally gets her date uh-huh. and, uh, and, and Elastigirl has her arm on the seat, but she's, yeah. touch, she's touching, uh, Bob Parr's shoulder yeah. while they're driving. It's that kind of like, okay, they're husband and wife. They're, they're right. you know, they've kind of rekindled things. Everything's back to normal. They're happy. They're in love. That's kind of romantic, but that would happen. You know, it's just mm-hmm. little stuff like that. It just shows more of the scene. They could just been sitting there driving in the car. I love little stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, in fact, we can pivot into some of the more, the, the visual side of things. I totally agree. I think one of the, the secret weapons that, Pixar has always had is their ability to really infuse human expression oh, and, yeah. and movement into their films more so than other studios. Like, you, you know, you have other folks like DreamWorks or Illumination Studios, whatever, and they have their own films where they have certain qualities about them. But to me, Pixar has always been the best right. and they have always been able to have these subtle nuances and just like, to give you an idea, when um, it, when you watch Helen, who's the mom, she's talking, they have actually integrated, if you watched her jawline when she was delivering her lines in this film, they emulated Holly Hunter's mouth. I thought they did. Yeah. Like yeah. in the first Incredibles movie, you don't really see that at all. But in this one, like... like um, Holly Hunter, when she speaks, she kind of, her mouth kind of goes like, like kind of to the side a little bit when she talks, when she like, um, enunciates certain syllables or, or words or whatever. They did that with her character, Helen. Yeah. Which I think is just, I love that. I think it's so just, I don't know. I, I think it's so cool that they, they have that level of attention to detail. And then plus two, it just brings the character more to life because our ears can identify certain things. Like if I'm doing this, like our listeners are going to be able to just in their minds think, well, he's probably like his mouth is moving a certain way in order to get that kind of sound. And I think it's on a more subtle level, even for people who are talking your ears are constantly interpreting, okay, based on how I sound right now, for instance, or how you sound or how anybody sounds, 
it, it's putting together kind of a mental image as to like what our face looks like as we're speaking. So yeah. I think that's really cool. Also the body movements too. There were times in this film where like they almost looked like real people. Yeah. I mean, there, there were certain moments where like I was just having this, this weird, like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but just, I was watching them thinking, man, this, they look like a real person the way they're moving. Yeah. Towards the end. Well, I had more of that reaction with the, the scene, the scenery, like the scenescapes. Yeah. The environment, the environments, like when they were on the track, for example, and like with the football field, I thought yeah. that that looks real. And then they just animated some characters in there. I like guess getting pretty close. It's it is amazing. I found myself thinking about how the, when the first Toy Story movie came out back in 1995, I think it was. It was a while ago, yeah. Is it either 1995 or 1997? I'll have to check on that. But it's just insane to see where they started versus where they've come today, and how just the tools and techniques that are now available, it, it just really makes for a more immersive, enjoyable experience for the, the viewer. I think what's important too, we always talk about the inertia and, and the weight that every object or being has yeah. and how difficult that has been if you integrate full motion video and then have some computer graphics in mm -hmm. there. It's, they always seem elastic mm -hmm. or kind of Gumby like, right. And what was like, well, why is it taking so long for them to, you know, to do it right. Mm -hmm. And then you have something where with the Incredibles, which it's entirely animated, but you can tell how much weight everything has. If something is very thick and iron, like it looks heavy and yeah. it looks like it's, it's difficult to move. And like when that train was kind of coming off the track a little bit, mm -hmm. I was thinking, how would this look if it was a picture done by somebody else other than Pixar? And it probably would have looked bendy mm. in a way. This looked like it had steel beams running through it. It looked like it was constructed like this could actually be something. Yeah, the physics were right, right. on point. The The rigid body dynamics were all yeah. just fully realized in, in scenes like that. And plus, too, just some of the other scenes, especially like, like in the action sequences, it is amazing. I mean, when you think of computer graphics, like just the... I found myself forgetting about all the different barriers that you have to, to get over when you're working in CG, when it, as it applies to, to like physics or just like animation in general, when you're trying to give a sense of mass or a sense of weight, that sort of thing. It, it was so impressive to watch, like, like when Bob was spending time with Jack-Jack and just watching how he's having to catch Jack-Jack or he's having to dodge Jack-Jack's laser beams or even, even with, like, the raccoon, that's all geometry. I mean, the crazy thing about that is, is that those are not tangible physical characters or creatures or puppets like at least like back in the old days like in star wars for instance you had people in costume and makeup or you had little like hand animatronic you know something that was actually like like you could have something that could physically wrap or grapple with with something else that was in the real world this is completely virtual and it makes it that much more of a feat in terms of the animators because they're having to, to, to just really just painstakingly just animate that in such a way that when you see it on screen, you're just like, yeah, Jack-Jack is in fact tumbling and wrestling around with a raccoon and there's all these things going on and it looks like they really are physically just, just grabbing each other and doing things and everything else. I mean, it's, it's, 
<laughs> it's impressive, man. Uh, it's, it's crazy to see like what they're capable of doing these days. And especially too, one of the things I appreciated about this particular film was the, the camera work. True. And so many of those action sequences, like, like you had just this, this constant, like just camera on the move, but it wasn't, like these unrealistic vantage points or, or the way the camera moved, it was actually very much in line with kind of what you'd expect if you had like a real crew working like with cameras and whatnot. But that was another thing that I really liked a lot was just the, the attention to how the camera was moving in relation to what the characters were doing. And also just the framing, the, the cinematography of it um, I thought was just always just, just these awesome angles and just really well thought out approaches to like how stuff was laid out where like if, if an explosion happens here, then the camera will swoop around over this way and the keep or the frozen zone shooting the ice and swooping around. Yeah. Just all of that. Just, it really, it, to me like that actually gave a lot of Z depth to a lot of the scenes. And oh, Z depth. Yeah. So you have your X, your Y, and then you have your Z. Hashtag Z depth. <laughs> so anyway, did you have any thoughts on just what I've been talking about with the, the camera and all that fun stuff? I, I, I wholeheartedly humbly <laughs> agree. Oh my goodness. What'd you think of the soundtrack? Uh, I like the soundtrack. I, I thought, I, man, it was, I was looking for it in the end in the credits. I think I was anticipating something to happen um, mid credits mm-hmm. and I, I forgot who did the music, but it almost sounded like Danny Elfman, but it wasn't Danny Elfman. No, it was somebody else. Yeah. <clears throat> but I also, beyond the music, I also liked the, the sound effects. Like the sound effects had a lot of girth. And I remember in the first movie, it, it was the same amount of girth. I mean, you would really appreciate some, some subwoofer in there because yep. like with the car moving and the explosions, they did a great, great job with whoever the sound editor is. Skywalker sound. Hey, <laughs> can't beat them. <laughs> At least they did better in this one than um, some of the other Star Wars movies. But, uh, you know, going back really quick over to some of the characters, no, going backwards. I did. I was a little disappointed in some of the character designs of kind of like the the other supers who were coming out of the woodwork. I felt that some of them were cool. Other ones were like, eh, like I, I really love the old man who like barfed up the, the bile or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, that, what was his name? He was, uh, it was like, oh, what's his name? I, it was funny because if you have the acid reflux, that's yeah. what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought Void was really cool too. I liked her. I actually loved her fight scene with Violet because their their superpowers were very much like yeah. just yin and yang. Yin and yang, yep. I didn't care for Brick. I mean, I thought, well, you're always going to have another strong guy. Okay, strong guy. Nothing yeah, strong he, guy. he was not, he wasn't memorable at all. And I, I go back and forth with this because on the one hand, I understand that they're just supportive cast. So you don't want them to be as memorable as the uh, Incredibles family or people. Yeah. However, I do believe that that was one of the original aspects to the first Incredibles movie when they showed Frozone because Frozone is a supportive character. He's only in, at least in the, you know, in the first film, he was probably only in there for maybe 10%, 20% of the movie. And so it's interesting to me because I, 
want to see more of that because obviously this is a world that where supers exist and I don't want too many throwaway characters. I want to see more characters that have the staying power of someone like Frozone that perhaps either the Incredibles family know or maybe they don't know and they meet them and then they can continue fleshing and building out more of this world as they you know develop more alliances and so on and so forth. But I don't know. I, I had to get that that thought out just really quick. Well, you bring up a point. What do you think of of Dash? Because Dash hardly did anything. I was surprised as to yeah, Dash definitely took more of a back seat. But if you think about it, I mean, to be fair, in the first Incredibles movie, he did a lot, and Violet really didn't do a whole lot. Violet actually took kind of a back seat in the first film. Yeah, maybe. I'll, Remember, he's like running across the like the ocean water yeah. or whatever, and he 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 was way more like in front as opposed to the other siblings. So like, like I said earlier, I think it was a great kind of reversal. It was cool that, that because you have this family of characters, it's fun to be able to like, just kind of play with them. We're like, you can have certain ones who were kind of in the spotlight before, but let's, let's, let's rein them in a bit more. They still have a function. They still have a purpose in the film and a value to it. But then let's, let's push this forward a little bit more. Like even with Violet situation, um, <laughs> she was so mortified how she finally got that date at the end of the first film. And the second film, the, the boy's memory was wiped and he doesn't remember who she is. She's like, dad, you know, she's just freaking out about that whole thing. And I don't know. I, I just, I, I think it, it's really fun how masterfully they captured just the fam, the, the typical family dynamics. Doesn't matter which family it is. They all, universal family dynamics just apply everywhere. And I think, in, especially in Pixar's case, you have a lot of newer families. And so they're able to draw inspiration from all kinds of like personal experiences. But anywho, I say we now pivot over to some movie trivia courtesy of IMDb. Sounds great, Russ. Uh, and there, there's a, quite a few fun little tidbits in here at one hour and 58 minutes. Incredibles two is not only the longest Pixar animation studios film to date, but also the longest computer animated feature film to date. It did seem like it was a bit longer than the rest of them had been. Mm -hmm. Instead of Incredibles two being released on June 21st, 2019 Pixar swapped release dates with toy story four in 2019 as the film was being completed ahead of schedule while the other was lagging in production of which was initially going to be released on June 15th of 2018. Hmm. Now there is a hidden Mickey, which I did not see, but the spirals on screen slavers hypnosis machine form a slightly lopsided, but still recognizable Mickey mouse. Was that the, like the clock looking thing? Well, it was a, it was that hypno. Yeah, it was like remember it had that arm holding coming out, and it had the little uh, pendulum. Yeah, thing. it was kind of going back and forth, and you had the the wheels turning behind it. Yeah, it was like a lopsided Mickey Mouse back there. Yeah. yeah. All right. For this film, Huck Milner took. Oh, oh, this is what I was mentioning to you earlier. Uh, Huck Milner took over voicing Dash as the character's original voice actor, Spencer Fox. His voice had deepened since the first film. First time in a Pixar animation film that a protagonist is seen using a gun. Yeah. Elastigirl uses one to shoot the lock on a door. Now, that was pretty interesting, seeing a, a gun in, in a Pixar film. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, because we had, it wasn't that only time that she shoots the, the door to 
you know, open it up, but you see someone getting killed. Well, you don't see him getting killed, but you give the illusion of, yeah, that person died. Which person? That person was murdered in the story where, uh, where the, the sister and the brother's parents uh-huh. had the phones to the older supers. Oh, right. Uh-huh. By the way, did you catch the older supers were the supers that were turned yep. to stone from the front? Okay, yeah, yep. you got that one. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so their, their house was invaded and they got shot. And you, you don't see anything, but you know you hear the gun go off, and I thought, man, a little, a little more serious, a little this is a little darker, yeah. I like that about Brad Bird, who's the director. Like he really like when the first Incredibles movie came out, he totally just brought a whole different just quality to the lineup of Pixar movies because up until that point, you had mostly like buddy films. Like if you think about like Toy Story, that was a buddy film, like, you know, Woody and, and Buzz. Or if you watched Monsters, Inc. and you had Mike Wazowski and Sully. Or you had Finding Nemo. You know, you had the, I can't remember the dad's name now. Marlon. Marlon. And you had mm-hmm. Dory. You know, I mean, it was it was that constant um, formula that, that they were using, which is fine. I like that formula personally, but what was great about the Incredibles was that Brad Byrne brought in this whole different dynamic in terms of like having this, this giant, like I said, that like, it's like this giant living, breathing world of a, like a host of characters that all work off each other and that sort of thing. But also too, like he, he brought in more of, um, I hate to use the word edgy. It's not edgy, but just, more of a, um, I guess, more of a seriousness. Yeah, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. But that's that's like it's still funny. Like like the movie is laugh out right. loud funny. Right. But I I appreciate the fact that that they were able to introduce. Well, it's not really introducing. It, it, you know, it's I'll have to think on it because I remember actually one of the first Pixar movies that. I felt was pretty deep and pretty serious was actually finding Nemo because you have the dad, you know, you know, the, the, the mother gets killed off by the, that other fish. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the father goes into this overprotective mode with his son. And there's a moment where like, he's, you know, they're in the, the mouth or the, the whale or whatever. And and the kid Nemo is trying to tell Marlon that it's okay. And Marlon's just, you know, he's in his, his mode and he realizes that he's being, completely overprotective and how he's going to let his son flourish and grow and stuff. And so that he ends up just letting go both figuratively and uh, literally, and they go into the, the bowels of the, the whale and whatnot. But anyway, there was quite a bit in finding Nemo that I did feel was a bit more serious in that regard, still funny with parts, but, but there was more danger, more seriousness, that sort of thing, as opposed to some of the other Pixar films. Yeah, I just thought this one was was more. Uh, it was it was just darker. Um, just someone gets capped in a Pixar movie. You know? <laughs> like oh, I've never seen that before. Which, if you think about it, I mean that that falls right in line with comic books. Yeah, but this is not. I mean, this one this is not a comic book story. You know, well, it's I superheroes. Mean, it's superheroes. Yeah, but. They're kind of pulling from that that whole thing of like, yeah. or, or or even like the the old nineteen fifties TV shows of. Uh, the phantasm or whatever, you know. Yeah, I get it. But this is supposed to be, in my opinion, it's supposed to be a little bit different, more lighthearted, not so much, you know, let the superhero buff superhero movies do their own little thing with all that stuff and this be something different. This was Pixar's 20th feature film. The first full-length Disney animated feature film to feature very mild, bad language. This is something I also keyed on as well in the movie. I was holding off, yep. They said uh, the word hell and damn, 
as well as the words God and Lord since the, uh, actually, yeah, since the Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1996. It is also the first Pixar Animation Studios film since Cars of 2006 to feature such language in that film. Lightning McQueen used the term hillbilly hell. (laughs) As of 2017, Incredibles 2 holds the record for the most viewed animated teaser trailer of all time with 113 million views in the opening week. Coincidentally, the number 113 preceded by the letter A is a common in-joke in Pixar and other contemporary animated movies. How about them apples? And I think I may have something later on that actually expresses, oh, here it is. A typo on the movie theater marquee where Tony is dropped off towards the end of the movie reads A113. One of the most famous recurring Easter eggs, several Pixar producers and animators studied at California Institute of the Arts in classroom A113. Yeah, I've heard of that. And this number appears in every Pixar film. Yeah. Incredibles 2 was the seventh Pixar film scored by Michael Giacchino. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Giacchino probably is more like it. Following The Incredibles of 2004, Ratatouille of 2007, Up 2009, Cars of 2011, Inside Out 2015, and Coco 2017. So that man's got some talent. You know, Coco is uh, available to stream on Netflix, Russ. I still need to see it. I kind of fell off the bandwagon when my daughter was born, and I'm kind of needing to play some catch-up here. Although I did see Inside Out, so that was good. Yeah, play some catch-up and some mustard. Oh, yes. Some pickle relish. Just don't do the mayonnaise. No, no. This was Pixar's fourth film to have a female protagonist after Brave, Inside Out, and Finding Dory. Finding Dory, I never saw that either. Saw that one. Thank you very much. The numbers shown when the uh, excuse me, the number shown when Winston is talking via speakerphone has a five one zero area code. Oh, Pixar Studios are in Emeryville, California, which has a five one zero area code. That kind of East Bay area. Uh huh. East Bay. The 14-year gap between the first film and the sequel was the longest waiting time between a Disney Pixar film and its sequel. Finding Dory from 2016's 13-year gap was the second longest. Monsters University of 2013 was the third longest with a 12-year gap. And Toy Story 3 from 2010 was the fourth longest with an 11-year gap. A neon sign can be briefly glimpsed, which resembles the logo for the television show Johnny Quest, which director Brad Bird has named as a profound influence on the world of The Incredibles. Clips from the show also appear on television in the film. Remember that? Yep. (laughs) Oh, this one actually is near and dear to my heart. Dash is seen eating sugar bombs, which I keyed on right away. The chocolate frosted version is another hyperactive blonde's favorite cereal, Calvin of and Hobbes fame. Yep. (laughs) I I picked up on that as well. Um, You know what though? I I thought that when, when Bob takes the cereal away and puts down fiber O's, I thought that was a Trader Joe's cereal. <laughs> really? Because I've been in Trader Joe's a few times, and I, and I thought I've seen that there. At least it sounds like it comes from Trader Joe's. Well, that's funny. The Underminer, of course, as, as we talked about earlier, gets away and is never caught during the film and is seen again in a post credit scene yeah. showing that he's still at large. He's still mining around. He's on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, that's awesome. 
When Edna puts Jack-Jack in her chamber to show Bob the suit she designed for him, she mentions that Mozart stimulates his powers. This is a nod to the Pixar short Jack-Jack Attack. Did you ever see that? Negative. <laughs> the babysitter, Carrie. Remember the, remember the babysitter from the yeah. first Incredibles with the braces and whatnot? Right. Uh, she's taking care of Jack-Jack while um, the Parr family is on no man. What is it? No Manison Island? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, it's the island that they were on in the, in the Incredibles. Carrie plays Mozart for Jack Jack, and it instantly triggers his powers for the first time in his life. So it's funny they carry that on. Yeah. So like you know they, <laughs> it's just playing Mozart again causes all the same stuff to happen. Which by the way, we didn't really talk much about, but I love the whole like Edna Mo portion where like, like clearly she had bonded instantly with Jack Jack. And Bob's like, how the heck did this happen in 24 yeah. hours? And then she's showing all these things of how the suit can help him out. Anyway, it's great. And how Jack-Jack took on some of her expressions. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. The, and the, some of the mannerisms and stuff. I love how like when she was going through the whole identification process, she used Jack-Jack like with the eye recognition thing and the, the little microphone comes out and he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then it's like it opens up. Uh, let's see here. Jack Jack's like super baby. He can do pretty much anything. Well, it's like, where did he go? Oh, yeah, he's in another dimension. Uh, you gotta have to <laughs> like what? <laughs> so funny that you say that. Cause I'm just about to dive into something. That I think you're going to dig. So first things first, Jack Jack's voice is archival recordings, which I thought that had to have been the case. Cause it sounded just like Jack Jack from the first movie. I'm like, there's no way that same kid, baby, whatever yeah. it was, could sound the same. And so that, of course, makes sense. But going into, segueing into this whole dealio from what you just said, overall, Jack-Jack has 17 superpowers, if you remember from the film. The most for any superhero in the film. And I know what they are, Steve. Uh-huh. They are the following. Or IMDb knows what they are. <laughs> well, <yeah>. touche. <laughs> Multiplication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jack-Jack can make multiple copies of himself. Demon transformation. Jack-Jack turns himself into a purple demon-looking thing. This power appears to be triggered when he gets angry, especially no. when he doesn't get a cookie. Jack-Jack also uses this power, of course, in The Incredibles. Fire. Jack-Jack bursts into flames, human torch style. He can seemingly still function normally in this state. It's just that everything he touches instantly catches fire. The next one is laser eyes, of course. Green laser beams shoot from Jack-Jack's eyes. The lasers can be steady beams, or he can shoot them pulse style, as we saw. Growth. Jack-Jack grows many feet taller and wider, seemingly at will. He also appears to become a lot stronger in this state. Dimension hopping. Jack-Jack can can traverse through different dimensions. When in the other dimensions, it's implied that in the film... There are more than one he travels to. People in his own dimension can still hear him. Carbon copy features, which is basically a metamorphosis. A few minutes after meeting Edna Moe, Jack-Jack transforms his facial features to look like hers. He even replicates her hair. Obviously. Super strength. Jack-Jack tussles with and kicks a raccoon clear across the backyard as a demonstration of his strength. He also tosses a few lawn chairs around one-handed as if they were small toys. Invulnerability. Despite wrestling for several minutes with a raccoon who has razor-sharp claws, Jack-Jack doesn't sustain so much as a scratch. I noticed that. Right. And, and, And 
Mr. Parr said the same thing. He's like, hmm, you don't have a scratch on you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Floating, Jack-Jack can seemingly make himself weightless and kind of floats around uncontrollably. It's not really flight, more just a zero gravity float, <laughs> which I liked a lot too. And remember when I think it was Frozone was trying to catch him and he's just like, and just kind of like starts flipping slowly to the side. <clears throat> Telekinesis on at least two occasions, Jack-Jack demonstrates. Limited telekinesis, one when fighting with the raccoon and once on the boat when he takes Elastigirl's goggles off without touching them. Oh, yeah. I remember That's that. That's right, yeah. Sneeze-induced flight, which... <laughs> That's a funny one, too. At least twice, the force of Jack-Jack's sneeze propels him into the air like a rocket. Luckily, he usually uses his ability to walk through walls before hitting the ceiling. Electricity emission. It only occurs once in the film when Robert Parr discovers that Jack-Jack has superpowers following his son's battle with the raccoon. Walking through the walls and glass, it's not clear if Jack-Jack becomes intangible to pass through walls or if he changes the physical properties of the wall so he can walk through it. Either way, he makes it work. Turn to metal. I remember this one from the first film. Remember, yeah, I remember from the first one. Remember the one, bad yeah. guy in the first one was trying to fly away with Jack-Jack um, and he became metal and that caused him to like drop. Yeah, he got really heavy. Down. Yeah. yeah. Jack-Jack uh, only uses his superpower in his... Oh, okay, here you... Yeah, I should have just read this. Jack-Jack only uses this superpower in his battle with Syndrome near the end of The Incredibles of 2004. He never at once uses it in... What? No, oh, he never once uses it in the sequel. It is nevertheless assumed that he still retains this superpower. Blobbing. During the fight with the raccoon, Jack-Jack turns himself into a shapeless, gelatinous blob that's tough for the animal to fight. I remember that too. And last but not least, Mimicry. After spending a few days with Edna Mode, Jack-Jack can accurately mimic her walking and facial expressions. This is different from the metamorphosis power. Did you just say Mimicry or Mimicry? Oh, you know what? You're right. I think it's Mimicry. Thank you. Thank you for that, Steve. You're welcome, Ross. <clears throat> so let's see here. I have a couple more little tidbits when the incredible escapes with the children and heads for the boat. The sound effect is the jet engine of the Batmobile from the 1960s Batman 1966 wow. TV series, which I heard. And I was thinking that can't be what I, th I just figured it was just me, but apparently not. And uh, the final one here, each of Evelyn's outfits is a varied pattern of black and white alternating vertical bars, white top with black speckles and black pants with white speckles, both hinting at the dichotomy between good, who was the brother Winston and evil, who was Evelyn, as well as evoking imagery of television static screen slaver would often use signal static and a black and white static pattern to hypnotize her victims, which I was like, I didn't really make that connection in the film, but now that I read it, I'm like, dude, that, you see it the entire <laughs> time. That's great. Anyway, what kind of conclusion and rating would you give this, Steve? Well, Russ, I think I'd have to give it a four star. Mm. I wanted it to do. I wanted it to be better, and it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Um, of course, you would say that. I, I yeah. And, you know, I, 
I think it's I think the it was less funny and less lighthearted than the first one. And I wanted the humor to still carry through. And the humor, it wasn't like it wasn't there. It just wasn't as prevalent. And maybe it was it was the maturity of the humor. I'm not really sure what it is, but it, I just didn't find myself laughing as much or as hard as I did with the first movie. Did I enjoy it? Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I want there to be another Incredibles movie. I don't want them to stop here. I don't want to get oversaturated with Incredibles. But I definitely am curious to see which direction they're going to take it. I just thought it was it was a little bit too heavy, and that that kind of you're just still spooked about the whole gun thing, aren't you, Steve? Well, it was it's the gun stuff. Plus, it was some of the the language that I mean, with with a Pixar movie, I just felt it was out of place, and they could have replaced it with with something else. So, being with all these old tidbits that I'm criticizing it with. Definitely not a bad movie at all. And I know everybody's probably, you know, whatever, but I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I can't give it more than a four. So but from, a, but a four is a good rating. It is a good rating. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm pretty close to where you are. I give it a 4.5 star rating out of the whole thing. I think that it was a, a just a really enjoyable film I'm so happy that the Incredibles have returned to the silver screen. And I really do hope that they make sequel after sequel of these. And you know, the bummer is, is that a lot of the, the voice actors, they're getting older. Like they need to, like if, if I'm um, a creative director at Pixar, I think I would really be driving home the idea. Look, we have got to just churn out like this kind of episodic, approach like like keep doing what they're doing with the incredibles and that's one of the things that makes that particular film unique is that they just they keep it going right where the last one left off get those scripts approved get the voice actors in there and getting the get them recording their lines now as opposed to waiting another who knows how long which i don't think it's going to be another 14 years for the incredibles but still like you have to really capitalize on that because it'd be a bummer if one of them gets too old to be able to, yeah. to say their lines. Well, their voices start to change. And that's another thing too, is their voices do change over time. And with the, with the post and Tom Hanks in there, and I, I got to thinking about Toy Story with yeah. Woody. And I think, and, and you can hear it in Tom's voice. I mean, you know what? I'm not, this is not a, a rip on Tom at all, but we, cause we all get old and we all start to change, but you can hear it in his voice that he's, he's getting older. It's amazing how like the moment that you're born as a baby, your voice is forever changing. It's amazing how like, even like for my daughter, who's three and a half years old, like her voice has matured since the time she was first born and will continue to do so throughout her entire life. It's kind of neat when you stop to think about it in that way. We're like other things about you, like, like, you know, you stop growing up in terms of like getting taller and taller and taller, you know, you reach your, your height and that's it. And you kind of get fat or whatever. But like, it's interesting how your voice is always changing in that regard. I don't know. It's just, it's, I think it's probably kind of a, a joy and a curse for sound engineers because on the one hand, it's just great to be able to like work with certain people who like maybe you worked with years before and then you see them come, um, come back in and you listen to their voice and you realize, oh my gosh, like you have new inflections to your voice that you didn't have, like different qualities to your voice that we can utilize that weren't there before but at the same time it's kind of a curse because you can never have like that same type of sound that you had right in the event that you needed that exact same sound again to occur from a voice 
I don't know. It was pretty cool, but yeah, like just the, the overall story. I loved how it took, it, it took off where the last one left and just having the, the different approaches with the characters. I thought there were plenty of laugh out loud moments. I absolutely love the, the Jack, Jack raccoon WrestleMania fight. I loved the, <laughs> the interactions with Bob and Jack, Jack, as well as um, dash and, and violet. Um, I, I liked a lot, you know, seeing more of the world of the Incredibles. There were, there was just a lot there. And I, for one, I like kind of more of that serious tone and Brad Bird is known for that. You know, Brad Bird also directed the Iron Giant back in the day. I thought that he did. Yeah. And that movie also has some seriousness to it as well. It's just kind of his style. But it's one that I, I dig. I, th- I think it's a lot of fun. So can't recommend it enough. I think it's great. I think it's gr- it's fun for the whole family. I think, you know, kids, we, we actually, when we saw the movie, there were um, quite a few kids that were in the, the theater and then you could tell they were enjoying it. And, and then I think the parents were too. So I think I will definitely take the wife for a second outing on this little jewel of a film. So anyway, I think that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week as we continue our saucy banter. Thanks again for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and pledge $1 a month for exclusive access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. Later. Later.